You know, so the Apostle Paul is addressing Timothy. His he calls him a son of the faith. That's not because he was a literal son. He was a uh, a man that a uh, young man that Timothy mentored, disciples, spent time with, and he's going to be challenging him. He doesn't say uh, to Timothy, uh, "Play the good Sunday school picnic," but rather, "Fight the fight of faith," says Stephen Cole. See, the ministry today is spiritual warfare. If you're a Christian. You're in a war whether you recognize it or not. If you don't realize it, then you've got your blinders on. Our enemy is trying to trip us up and get us to drop out of the picture. Serve the Lord faithfully, you've got to realize that you're in it for the long haul. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not the short sprint. Some people get really excited about being involved with the church. They get all excited and then they burn out. Others get excited, and then all of a sudden they find out the church has problems. They quit. Don't go back to church. I'm sure many of us have friends that went to church at one point or another, quit, stopped going because of something that happened in church. Been there? I've seen it. Trouble is you can't do that with your own family, can you? (laughs) You hang around with your family like, I can't stand. We won't say whose name it is. I'm never going to another family gathering again, but you keep going. Because they're what? Well, the church is a family too. And we've got to work with it. And yet, uh, sometimes others bail out when they receive criticism. When somebody says, hey, you know what? I don't like the way you sing. Really? Do, you, you know, is there, is there, do people sometimes criticize people in church? Yeah, absolutely. Do they always do it with good intentions? No. Did your mother's always have did your mother always have good intentions when she criticized you? Claudette, you said yes. I don't know about that. I don't know if that was always a good intention or not. Sometimes I think she just wanted to smack you down because you're just being too belligerent. But yet all these problems would be solved that people would realize this one thing. The ministry to which God has called us, each one of us, is a lifetime campaign against a powerful enemy. And we are facing an enemy. First Timothy 1, 18 to 20, here's the, the scriptures. It says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight. And so holding on to faith and good conscience, some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenius and Alexander, who have handed over Satan and be taught not to blaspheme. Paul has been challenging his young cohort, Timothy, to instruct the false teachers in Ephesus to stop teaching the garbage they were teaching. So, you know, this is wrong. And so there's a sense that when you teach the Word of God, there's a challenge that you've got to continually instruct people to follow what does God's Word say rather than what people think it says. Uh, This would be something that Timothy particularly wouldn't have been thrilled about. Because Paul's saying, you know what? I want you to confront people that aren't doing the right stuff. And we say, I just love confrontation. Hands, hands. I would say, yeah, I just love confronting people. Yeah. Still, so, you know, you're a police officer. You like confronting people, right? You pull them over. I get you. I bet you get all kinds of excuses too, don't you? When I get pulled over, and that that, that, that has happened. It's been a while. I should have said that now. You know. I just pull right over and say, sir, I was wrong. <laughs> So I tell me what I did wrong. <laughs> but I usually know. We all know. 
And yet, God is the business of calling us to do things that sometimes are beyond our comfort zone. Because you know what? If we love our kids, are we going to confront them? Yes. If we love our spouses, are we going to confront them? <laughs> really? Somebody says, depends on whether it's going to be, what the end result's going to be. You notice there was a woman that spoke up real fast on that one. Not, the guys were like, eh, don't know about that one. Yet God is in the business of challenging us to sometimes do things that we don't like. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, the Apostle Paul says, Brothers, think of what you were think think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So when God uses you, you got to remember this thought. God is not interested in your capabilities, but rather in your willingness to be used by him. Did you hear that? That should encourage every one of you. Because sometimes we make up so many excuses to why, well, God can't use me in this, God can't use me. Timothy could have said the same thing. I'm not qualified. I don't have that capability. God says, not the issue. Are you willing to be used? In verse 18, Timothy is instructed to fight the good of fight, fight of faith according to the prophecies made about him. So we need to address the question, what are prophecies? Many times prophecy is understood by many as telling the, what's going to happen in the future. But in the Bible, a prophet can prophesy of, prophesy of the past, the present, or the future. A prophet spoke as he was inspired by God. Nathan the prophet was inspired by God to confront King David on his sin with Bathsheba. You think he was really comfortable in confronting the king? I don't think so. And even though David had covered up his sin, God saw it and said, Nathan, you need to go confront David about what he said. So in his prophetic role, he was going to come into David's life and, said, and tell a little story that really convinces David and then point the finger and tell to David, you're the man who sinned and you need to repent, get things right. Many times a prophet would warn people about their sinfulness and coming judgment if they didn't repent and turn back to God. Who was such a prophet? Jeremiah was. The people like Jeremiah, they hated his guts. They lured him into a pit and left him there because he was prophesying, if you don't turn back to God, guess what? The Assyrians are going to come, going to wipe us all out, take us to slavery and bondage, and you need to turn back to God. And the other prophets were saying, everything's really good, everything's cool, and they were prophesying that things are going to be really, really good. So there are also messianic prophecies about the Messiah all throughout the Scripture. You're probably familiar with some by the prophet Isaiah. Prophecy is always someone speaking the message of God as inspired by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 14, 3, he said, But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening and courage and comfort, but that's only done through the Holy Spirit's ministry in one's life. Early in Timothy's life, the elders at the church had laid hands on him and words of prophecy were spoken over him. And you say, was that a prophetic? It says, in a sense, that the elders of the church were watching Timothy and they saw how he was growing in his faith and what he was doing. And they spoke to him 
and probably share with him that he had the gift of teaching. They prophesied that into his life. And they said, you know, we see that God's really using this area. I think you need to really grow and develop in that area. And as the elders give oversight to people in the church, they can see over time, as God instructs them, how people are walking with Christ and where they need to fit in ministry. Because sometimes when people come out of the booth and say, hey, uh, what do you think God wants me to do? And I said, I don't have a cotton-picking clue. Really? I said, no, I haven't observed you. I don't know what, what you're about. I haven't seen what's going on in your life. And really, sometimes God hasn't revealed that to me. But in this situation, the elders prayed over to me, sort of like an, almost an ordination service, recognizing that he had been called of God to, to pastor, to preach. And so in 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, the apostle Paul later on says, do not neglect your gift, which was given you, the gift was through the Holy Spirit, it was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. They said, we see that God has gifted you to be able to do this. So we see Paul's reminding Timothy, I want to remind you of the call of God on your life. Now, here's the trouble. We, we read this and go like, this is really nice, Pastor, but we're talking about a guy's called to be a pastor. How does that relate to me? Because I'm not a pastor. And, and, and I hear what you're saying. But the issue is, God, if you've has placed a call upon each one of our lives, do you hear me? Sometimes we think, well, you don't have to be a pastor to have a call of God in your life. God has called each one of us to service in different areas because when God, through his Holy Spirit, drew you to salvation and you put your faith and trust in Christ, God saved you so that you could serve him. That means he also, when he saved you so that you could serve him, also entrusted you with gifts through the Holy Spirit's gifting or gifts so that you could use them and exercise them within the context of the body of Christ. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can find out all about that. And so God is the business of entrusting that. In, and so do you say, does God call us to serve him? The answer is yes. Not serve yourself. As we understand in a narcissistic society that's so in love with what we can do for me, God says, no, it's not about you. It's about what can you do to serve others. So they're reminding Timothy at this point, don't neglect the gift. God's place is gift in your life, and I want you to use it. But then he says, now that you, he said, don't neglect the gift. Remember, there's this gift that God's placed in your life. I want you to use it. And then he says, but I want you to fight the good fight. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of fights to be fought in the world today. A lot of fights. How many like fighting? I never did. I hated it. Totally despised fighting. I'd rather do something else totally. The only time this pastor ever fought, I did, I did, I have fought, was in grade school. There was a guy named Super Craig. He thought he was, he was drawing superhero comics about himself. Thought he was really cool. Yeah, we got in a fight, and uh, I kind of knocked him out. And I went to the principal's office and got the strap too. On this side, and on this side. This side was okay. The other side, like, oh, I didn't know they did that. <laughs> but the fight that the apostle Paul is challenging Timothy to is the fight of faith. In 1 Timothy 6.12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you are called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He said, you've been called to serve God, Timothy. You've witnessed that confession in front of all those men that laid hands on you and ordained you to the ministry and that saw God working in your life. He said, I want you to fight that fight. 
So he also says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, this is the Apostle Paul talking, he said, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. And then in Jude 3, he says, contend for the faith that was once and all trusted to the saints. The fight is the struggle which all Christians engage in when their efforts are focused on honoring Christ and growing in personal holiness. Folks, if you don't realize it, we are in a war. We are in a war. You say, what do you mean by that? We see a society that is becoming more and more uh, antagonistic towards the Christian message and the Christian faith. We see a country called Canada moving away from its Judeo-Christian roots in which it was established. And it's happening more and more and more. We see the school board for Essex County now saying it's okay to fly the gay flag at all the public school systems. And am I against that? The answer is absolutely. Do I think gays have rights? The answer is yes. Do I approve of their lifestyle? The answer is no. That doesn't mean I'm against them. That doesn't mean I hate them. I don't. But our society is continually pushing an agenda that goes against what the Bible teaches. So you say, in other words, if I take a stand for my Christian faith, and here's what, I'm, here's what I want you to hear loud and clear. That doesn't mean we go around bashing homosexuals. If that's the message you got, that's wrong. That's totally wrong. We're to love on them, but I have the right to say as a pastor, as a Christian, I don't approve of your lifestyle. However, I still love you as an individual and trust that you'll come to repentance in Christ. But that's not the only thing. Even as you look at your TV sets, what, what, what's happening? Uh, I know my wife is having a dialogue with some of the people at the office. And even in there, and I, I thought, uh, how many Christians do I know watch Game of Thrones? Don't put your hands up. I don't want to see them because I'll be talking to you afterwards. You know, what, you know what Game of Thrones is? It's called porn. It's really what it is. Different Christian articles put articles about it. And then basically society is softening up people so they begin to accept and look at and watch and allow themselves to be detiliated by this stuff. And it takes on our morals and our standards more and more. And I can go on and on and on about how society is continually attacking with a message that goes against what Scripture teaches. See, what are you doing as a pastor? I'm calling you to live by the book. I'm calling you to live by the Word of God. And when you live by what the Word of God teaches, you are be able to discern what is right, what is wrong, and what is pure filth. The truth is, we have a fight on our hands, and sometimes a lot of us don't even know it. The fight is a struggle in which we all engage in when we seek to live the Christian life according to biblical standards of morality, biblical values, it's about keep, and keeping the faith individually as well as corporately as a church body. The terms that Paul uses here in the New Testament are military terms. And by the way, you think to yourself, well, you know, back in that day, things were different. No, they weren't. No, you, don't have, you didn't have all the electronics devices that we have in that day, but the morals of the society in which they live in were decrepit. And I could go on, and you think Game of Thrones is bad? Uh, the society they live in was a lot worse. It's a reminder that we live in an environment that is hostile towards the Christian faith. In Ephesians 6, we read this challenge from the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, you'll follow along on the screen. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
Now, the, the, the old King James used to be called the wiles of Satan. And the battle for how you live your Christian life is right here, my friends, in the mind. And so what you feed yourself on, what you eat on, what you think on, is going to influence your actions and the way you live in this society. And if you choose not to live by the Word of God, it will be reflected in your lifestyle. If you live by the Word of God, it will be reflected too. People will say, like, you look like an odd duck. Anybody like to be weird? You got two people in the back booth running the sound system. Let's say they like being weird. That's we got problems here. But truth is, it's not fun standing out being different, is it? And yet, part of the Christian faith is standing out and being different, not for being weird's sake. Society will look at you and say, man, you're weird. You hold the values that. Why, why would you hold to that? Because I love my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe that his word never changes. It's truth. It's viable. It's not only viable. It's something that I've chosen to live my life by. Because the one thing I, I like about God's word, my friend, God's word never, ever changes. Society's values, yes, from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, I can talk about that. You're old. Yeah, I'm old. Anyways, those values have continually changed. Not in decades, but sometimes in years they've changed. And what society says is to, uh, okay today. Well, could, could be wrong, was wrong only five years ago. And it just continued to change, and all in the name of progress. So the Apostle Paul says, for our struggle is not against, verse uh, 12, against flesh and blood. It's not against people. But against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Why do you think this world is continually fighting against Judeo-Christian heritage and what the Bible teaches. Because Satan is at work, my friend. He's out to destroy and take down the church any way he can. That means you. That means me. That means the body of Christ. He said, and the Apostle Paul takes the offensive. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. It doesn't say run. It says stand. One thing I learned in football was a three-point stance as a defensive tackle. And one thing is you learn with a defensive tackling stance to hold your ground, but not only hold ground, to knock the offensive guards and take the quarterback down. But the idea is you always had to have a strong stance. It's true in sports. It's true in wrestling. I could talk about different sports. But it's also true in the Christian life. When it talks about taking a stand, it means you stand your ground. I'm not moving. I'm not changing. I'm holding to what God's Word says in my life. He says, so you, you take the stand. Stand your ground. After you've done everything, stand. Stand. Don't move. Stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place. And your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to us, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What's that? When the attacks come, and my friend, the attacks will come. What it says is that if I have my faith and trust in Christ, I'm spending time in his word. When the arrows of Satan come and attack me and try to attack different parts of my life, I, by faith, I can say, be gone, be done. 
I believe in God and he's going to look after me. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Why is the Apostle Paul challenged? And by this, it was written to the church at Ephesus, by the way. It's found in the book of Ephesians. And Paul is addressing this letter to Timothy, who's now pastoring in Ephesus. He says, stand your ground. He says, because he said, Satan is on the attack. And you say, well... I really don't like fighting. I hear you. But if you don't take a stand and hold to the principle of Scripture, you'll be swept over. You'll be taken down. That's why we're going to get into why people's faith is being shipwrecked. So Paul's helping to understand the fight we have in our hands. What does he talk about? He says, he talks about, just to analyze this, he's talking about the devil's schemes. It's not flesh and blood. He's talking about rulers. He's talking about authorities. He's talking about powers of the dark world, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms, days of evil. The family is under attack, my friend, if you haven't figured it out yet. It sure does sound challenging, does it? When you become a Christian, somebody say, some people say, all your troubles are over. God smooths out all your troubles, and life is easier. Wrong! Not true. It's a lie. So you mean, you say, when I became a Christian, I was going to be living a life that was filled with challenges and greater challenges than I've ever experienced? Yep. So somebody says, they didn't tell me that. No, they didn't. And when you got married, they didn't tell you that either. You were just so in love. You were saying, hey, I'm glad to be married to this girl. Not realizing that you'd find out things about yourself you never knew because being married to somebody else, it changes things. And when you come to a relationship with Christ, he also reveals things in your life you just never knew were there. And that means there's change involved. So somebody said, when you become a Christian, the challenges just start beginning. Satan, when you first became a Christian, didn't really bother with you then because you were, before you became a Christian, because you were on a side. And when you become a Christian, the very first thing that most believers, when they put their faith in Christ, the very first thing they struggle with is this one term called the assurance of salvation. You know, what do you mean by that? Well, a person comes to the same knowledge of Christ, they put their faith in him, and then they do something wrong. That happens. And when they do something wrong, they say, well, how do I know I'm really saved? Because I'm really a Christian. How come I, I'm not doing everything perfect? Well, my friend, you're not in heaven yet. And God's in the process of working in your life. And so Satan will continue to challenge you. Not that he will buffet you unmercifully, but you need to fasten your seatbelts. And yet, before you were a Christian, the whole areas of your life were devastated because of the way you lived as well as the emptiness and purposelessness in your life. How many times do I meet people that aren't believers? They just have, they're just purposeless. There's their meaning. They just go from thing to thing trying to find the sense of, I want a sense of fulfillment. I just want to really experience what the... And they're trying to find it with what the world offers. Here's a, here's a sad fact. That what the world has to offer, whatever the world offers there is a measurable amount of satisfaction that comes from that. But it doesn't last. It's empty and meaningless. But now that you've become a Christian, 
God is renewing your mind and helping you change your lifestyle so that you no longer live by the world's values and what the world says is important, but by what God says, this is important. This has value. This has meaning. This has legacy. And now you have the Holy Spirit living within you to guide you and direct you, to teach and comfort you. You're a lot better off. But yet you will feel, face conflicts in your life as you go through it. Do unbelievers face conflicts? Oh, yeah, they certainly do. But before you were Christian, you were given, usually just given to temptations, and then you suffered the consequences of your sins. But as you begin to stand against temptation, you begin to realize the source of them, Satan himself, because sometimes we think that the presenting issue that I'm really struggling with is just the presenting issue. But what we need to realize, who's behind it all? Who's organizing this? Fight the good fight every day. Then in verse 19, Paul says, hold on to faith. Now to fight a successful fight, you need to maintain two things. He says, faith and a good conscience. We're learning how to fight the good fight, but how do you keep the faith? Well, you continue on pressing toward the goal. In other words, don't give up. Ever felt like giving up? There's all kinds of things in our lives that we feel like giving up on. But the things we give up on, unfortunately, can also lead to greater problems in our own lives. Don't let the situation and circumstances of this world destroy your faith. Admit it, if you walk by sight, your faith will stumble. If you just focus your life, your Christian life, on what I see around me. But if I keep my focus on Christ and what he, what he wants to do in my life, I'm continuing the faith, realizing that even though there's times I feel like giving up, I say, no, Lord, you are greater. And Lord, you didn't give up. You loved me enough that you went straight to the cross. You endured the agony. You, you endured the curse because, Lord, you did that for me. It's so little for me to be able to carry on doing your, to do what you've called me to do. So the question is then, he says, not only do we need to have a good conscience but, and, uh, and fight with faith, but how do I grow in faith? Well, a person that grows in faith is one who is intimately familiar with the Word of God. That's because in Romans 10, 17, it says this. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. And again, here's where we get to this whole thing. How do I renew my mind daily? By spending time in God's Word. How do I renew my mind? Get a podcast, listen to it. How do I renew my, renew my mind? Continue to allow your mind to be saturated with the Word of God every single day. and It will change the direction and focus of your life and how you feel about things. If I spend all of my days on social media, there's actually studies done now that show you that if you spend too much time on social media, Anxiety, depression, I forget all the other issues that come with it. He's going, really? Uh, yeah, it's proven. And so, again, you are what you think about. So you'll, spend time, you'll grow as you spend time in the Word. It's how you keep the faith. Because when I spend time in the Word, I'm reading God's words to my heart. You can read different devotionals, different ideas, but what I challenge you to is get on a Bible reading plan. Spend time just reading the Word of God. Say, God, 
I'm going to open the Word. I'm just going to start First John, maybe, or I'll start at the Gospel of John, read through that, and then I'll read through Acts, and then maybe I'll read through Romans. And I'll just read until God speaks to me every day. Spend time. Why? Because I am a Christian. Because why? Because I love my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is my heavenly Dad, and He wants to speak to me every day, and He speaks to me through His Word. You won't lose trust in God when things get difficult if you're spending time with Him. The second necessity for finding a good fight of faith or keeping is a keeping of a good conscience. To have a good conscience means that you're living with your life above reproach before God and others. Paul's testimony was this in Acts 24, 16. So I strive to keep my conscience clear before God and man. I make sure that the things I do are in accordance with what God's Word teaches. See, when you fall into sin... You feel condemned. You feel worthless. You feel like a slug. Because you realize, man, what did I do? You feel sometimes like you can't go to God because of all the stupid stuff you've done. You feel like he's upset and disappointed with me, so why should I even talk to him about what's going on in my life because I've really screwed up again. But remember when you sin before others... It's an invitation for people to slander God and your walk with him. Oh, he's a Christian. Look what he's doing. Really? No reality to the Christian faith. And so what we see happening all around the world is that, and you, you can read about it in the media, whether it's newspapers, uh, through emails or whatever, you see more and more Christian leaders today falling away and, and, and being removed from ministry. And the idea is integrity of their walk with Christ. And somebody says to me, well, it just happened, and they'll say where it's at. And I said, the sad fact is that when a Christian fails, especially a Christian leader, it just doesn't affect that local congregation, my friend. It affects the entire body of Christ. Everybody's affected by it. Because people say, oh, that's Christians for you. First Peter 3.16 says, Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We're to resist temptation. We're to avoid sin. And that way we'll walk with a good conscience before God and man. And then in verse 19, Paul talks about shipwrecks. You'll find that the longer you're a Christian, the more people you will meet who have shipwrecked from their faith. We need to define what, what does shipwreck mean? Uh, they are people who have veered off course, away from biblical teaching, and drifted onto the rocks of false teaching. People at one point used to walk with God, used to follow God, and then they've gone off on some different diversion or act or whatever, and they no longer follow after God. They have wrecked their faith. They're walking according to their fleshly desires, not by the Holy Spirit's direction. They got st stuck at a certain point, crashed, burned, fell away from God in the church, how does that happen? It happens when people, they reject keeping faith and good conscience, and they start following the dictates of their worldly desires. They say, well, I know God's Word says this, but I think I can do this, and I can get away with it. That's another lie straight from the pit. Because that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to deceive you. He wants to trick you. He wants to keep you from walking with God. And so, two examples are Hymenaeus and Alexander. I'm glad my name isn't on that list. Hey, guess what, guys? You screw up. Guess what? Your name gets put in the Bible. People are going to remember forever. 
Scriptures really reveal a lot about these men. Hymenaeus was teaching falsely that the resurrection had already taken place. Hey, guess what? The resurrection taking place? You've missed out, folks. That's seen in 2 Timothy 2, 16 to 18. Again, he was teaching falsely. Alexander's sin is not specifically stated. However, Paul will tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 14 to 15, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Say, Pastor, in your life, have you ever faced opposition for what you taught? Yep. Every church, pretty well. Because sometimes people don't like the way the Word of God is presented. But sometimes people get off on tangents too in the Christian faith. They mean well, they really do. But they get off on tangents. This guy, Alexander, seems to be one of those guys who would argue with the pastor, claiming to know more than he did. I find that always intriguing. And yet, Paul says he has delivered such men to Satan. What's that mean? He said, that sounds pretty drastic. Delivering them to Satan. It means to disfellowship them, to basically kick them out of the church. So you shouldn't be in this church because you're not really holding to the faith. If you really want to hold to that belief, you shouldn't be a part of this body of Christ because you're misleading and deceiving people. You say, have you ever had to discipline people? The answer is yes. Do I like it? I hate it. Ask any parent, do you like disciplining your children? No. But you know as a parent, I have to do this because if I don't, the path they're going on is destruction. It's no good. It was also done in the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 13. There was a man in that church who was living with his father's wife. He was going to church. He was removed from the church and delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So the church is called to practice loving church discipline so that people will awaken to their sin and turn back to the Lord. So hear me loud and clear. Church discipline at Lighthouse is all about restoring people back to their walk with Christ. The attention of churches all through Scripture is this, to turn people from their sin back to walking with Christ. One of the things I, I remember too as a, as a parent growing up uh, with young boys is that I always, I always wanted to make sure that I tried to discipline my kids biblically. Because one of the things I, I recognize, and I did a lot of counseling, studies in counseling was this, that Oftentimes, as a child, my parents spanked me. Do you, do you believe that? Thanks. I was a bad boy sometimes. I, you know, I needed spankings. Anyways, but I remember after being spanked for doing things that were wrong, like lighting the kitchen curtains on fire, you know, <laughs> you know, a few things like that. I remember being sent to my room, door shut, and sitting in that room, half an hour, hour, I wonder, when do I get out of here? And you know what I would do? I, I finally try to open the door quietly and look. The coast seems clear. Get out. And this is what I do. Adrian never did this. I'd see if there's something I could do to appease the anger of my parents. Like, oh, the dishes need doing. I'll do the dishes. Must have been a desperate measure. Anyways, and I started doing the dishes and cleaning up around the house so that I would experience the love uh, and acceptance of my family again for the stupid things I did. Bad things, sinful things. And I thought about that when I had my own kids. I thought, is that the way I really want them to grow up? And I thought, no. 
Because what that says is that when I sin, I have to do things to appease God so that he accepts me again. Because how I act as a dad is the strongest reflection of who God is to my children's lives. So I did this. Did I spank them? You bet. Especially after church on Sundays. They're always ripping around doing things they shouldn't do. So I would talk to them, and yes, I spanked them, not with my hand, with a one by three, except they like, in their testimonies, they call it a two by four, which makes me like an abuser. But then after I spanked them, I wait about maybe about five minutes, walk back into the room, and then have a chat with them again. I said, you want, you know, I want you to know one thing, boys, and what's that? Your dad loves you. I hate what you've done. I don't like it. But I want you never to always, always know your dad loves you. And I would hug them. Because I never wanted to be in that place where they thought that I've got to do something good to get back into dad's good graces. Because I understand with working with people so often that people think they have to work their way back into God's good graces when they've sinned. And that is wrong teaching. So we're called to discipline, but we're to do it in a biblically loving way. And as a pastor, if I practice church discipline in the churches I pastor, the answer is yes. Have I seen people come back to it, back into the church through that process? The answer is yes. And I thank God for that. Because discipline is all about restoration. But if they choose to continue on your way, you let them go. So when they say to me, so let's we forget repentance is, a, is the purpose for disfellowshipping someone. Later, Paul would write to this church in Corinth, Corinth that was having this issue of incest. He said, 2 Corinthians 2, 16, the punishment inflicted on him, this guy that was sleeping with his father's wife, by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive him and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him and bring him back in. Okay, he's come, he's repented. Now the church needs to step up and say, hey, you're going to come back in, man. Now, here's a question. Somebody says, well, what if somebody's doing that? Well, I said, you, you challenge him and say, hey, you know what you're doing is wrong. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry, and I'm going to make this right. Good. Is there any need for discipline? The answer is what? No. They repented. So when you disfellowship someone from the church, it's when they choose to continue to walk out of accordance with what God's Word teaches, and when you speak to them, they don't listen, and they continue on living in a sinful manner. This guy had repented. He was accepted back. That's the point of church discipline. Restoration of the believer. So let me conclude by saying, when we look at ourselves as weak and frail, we stay close to God and seek to obey His Word. We need to recognize that we're in a battle every day, and the choices we make every single day can lead sometimes to shipwreck or closer to God. We're called to faithless and fighting the good fight of faith. We need to make ourselves accountable to God and a fellow brother and sister in Christ. You're in a battle. Put on the armor. If you're floundering in your life and you need help, call upon Jesus Christ to save you and help you right now wherever you are at. Because Christ says, fight the good fight of faith. Restore the lost brother. Be the family of God. And we need churches. And we need this church to be a loving family 
that's known for how we love one another. Love doesn't mean this mushy, gushy, gooey, whatever. It's kind of sappy. But anyways, it's about I love you enough to challenge you, to step up, man up, woman up, I guess, is the word. And, and be, and be, no, we're not going there. To be the people of God that God calls us to be. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts this morning. Lord, definitely a challenging passage and fighting the good fight of faith. Lord, I pray for everyone here. Lord, I, I don't know the battles they face. You do. So I pray that as they fight the good fight of faith, that there'll be men and women that will spend time in your word. That you help them to make the right choices every day. That they'll remember, according to Ephesians 6, to put on the armor of God to withstand the wiles of Satan. And Lord, if we're continuing to spend time with you, spend time in prayer, spend time in the word, we will be able to discern what is right, what is wrong. And if we're a brother or sister, Lord, who's not following you, we're all making allowance for sin in our lives. Through your Holy Spirit, convict us and help us put it to the side. Because, Lord, we want to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want our lives to count. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.